This is a segment from The Annex, an academic sociology-themed podcast. For more, visit us on the web at theannexpodcast.com. Uh, what do you want to start with? Do you want to start with the MAGA hat kid? Sure. Okay. Oh, my God. All right. So over the past several days, there's been tons of discussion surrounding this story of like an inflammatory racialized conflict that is something akin to like the blue white dress controversy or Laurel Yanny. You remember those? (laughs) Yes. It's like everybody looks at the same event and sees different things. Uh, One thing is for sure. It's a cast of unsympathetic characters all around. (laughs) Oh, I don't know about all around, <laughs> well, right? Well, let's get to it. Let's get to it. No, not completely all around, although I'll get to it. But it definitely seems custom built for like this age of like heated social media based arguments. Okay, so let's start. Tinderbox. Yeah, exactly. Well, let me, can I set, I'll set the stage, okay? So okay. Uh, there's, uh, it took place on the Washington Mall. And there was a Native American group who got a license to hold a protest. And near the Native American group, there were four men from the Black Israelites. It's like a Black nationalist group. And they set up beside the Native American protest. I presume it's without a license, but like whatever. It's My sense is like there was no conflict. And then fatefully on that day, there was a Catholic uh, school, boys school from Kentucky that came to the mall. I guess they were on a field trip and these boys were wearing make America great hats. So there's like three groups, the native American protesters, the black Israelites and this conservative mega hat wearing Catholic boys school from Kentucky. And they all find themselves in physical proximity on the Washington mall. Like that's already, you know, that's yeah. not going to do well, right? You know what I was yeah. thinking about Leslie, I'll I'll give you, let me give you my interpretation of this just off the, off the bat, because Leslie, I feel like you might appreciate this. You know, when you're on a subway car and there's two crazy people (laughs) on the subway car and they somehow start interacting. And then they decide to stand right in front of you. Yeah. Yeah. And like, it's two crazy people who are going to have their last day. Well, wait, Richard, you're from Jersey. You said, are you from? Yes. All right. So. It, it was like that. Two two people. Yeah, I can relate to this. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so basically, there was – it started off, there was a viral video that showed one of these MAGA hat teens taunting Native Americans with, like, faux chants and tomahawk motions, and people go insane. Like, they see this, like, smug-looking MAGA hat kid-wearing person taunting First Nations people. He's like Brett Kavanaugh, 2019. <laughs> uh, you know, and people start calling for the kid to be doxxed, and then he is doxxed, like his identity is revealed. People start harassing his family. Trevor Noah gets big glass about wanting to punch him in the face, etc. And and to me, this is actually what's amazing, and and just how quick uh, these things spread, and and uh, how fast the reaction is. It's it's like not only having two crazy people in the subway, but two crazy people in the subway in your living room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then so then then new video comes out showing some context, and it turns out that this confrontation came in a context where I guess the kids were having a conflict with the black Israelites. So there was like the black Israelites were shouting epithets at the kids. And I don't know if the kids were, I assume the kids were saying something back because they're teenagers. Maybe that's my ageism, <laughs> but like they're teenagers. So, 
But they were, I don't know what they were doing. They were responding with like school chants. There's some kid with his shirt off. Whatever it is, it's a standoff. And that's the two crazy people. And then, and then the, the and Native claim, American. Uh, Joe, the claim was that the, uh, uh, the, the chant was a way to dispel the, uh, uh, the, the negative uh, uh, yelling. <laughs> uh, 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 so, yeah, well, through logic, two negatives make a positive, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. I wonder if they teach. I suppose. I wonder if they teach that at like the conflict management school, right? They're like you're in a high powered negotiation. Yeah. <laughs> it's getting yeah. hot. Start. Chanting. This is not getting to yes. <laughs> yeah, getting to yes. Oh, that was good. <laughs> in any case, and then the the like the the whole situation gets even zanier. Well, in my mind, and here's the thing: I don't know what to make of the Native American protester. So. They're shouting at each other, and then the Native American protesters decide that they're going to walk directly through the crowd of boys while beating their drums. And, like, they say it was to calm things down, but, like, I don't really see that as a very effective de-escalation strategy either, right? Like, I mean, here, here is my, like, my yeah. take on it after seeing multiple videos mm -hmm. um, is, number one, uh, there's also, like, context and experience, right? So mm -hmm. perhaps these Kentucky boys have never uh, had to walk down Fulton Street and have to deal with the Black Israelites before. Mm -hmm. And so they didn't realize that, like, what do you do when confronted by black Israelites, you ignore them, right. <laughs> right? right? You ignore black Israelites and that the vast majority of the people who come into contact with black Israelites, that's what they do. They ignore them every once in a while. You might mix it up, right? But it's usually just to tell them, this is how what you're saying is wrong. I get where you're coming from, but here are the facts, right? Um, so number one, they didn't seem to understand that. Number two, I think that they were probably already all hopped up anyway, just by all their testosterone and their teenagerishness and um, and all of that. But number three, did they not understand that this was meant to be? This was meant to be uh, an occasion for American Indians, right? Um, and either they didn't understand that, um, and so thought it was okay to be loud and disrespectful in that space, or they didn't care. Maybe they did know. Um, and that's one of the reasons why they decided to show up because um, from the footage, you could hear them saying very derogatory things about American Indians, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, you know, as well as doing the tomahawk chop, like intentionally to, act, to actually belittle and denigrate an entire people. Mm. Um, although, you know, although the one thing that I kind of get worried about when we look at these incidents, and, and it seems like we see more and more of them going viral, is we focus on the incident, forgetting about, as you were saying, Leslie, the context, mm -hmm. the context that creates an erasure of the colonization of uh, indigenous tribes in, in, in North America, mm -hmm. the erasure of the context of, of a country built in slavery, yep. uh, the erasure of a context where people can't uh, disagree and, and, and respect that they disagree. Uh, and, and that's the conversation we're not having and which I think makes this moment really kind of uh, scary. It's, it's, it's incredibly scary to me. And then, and then on the other thing, the bigger thing is I've been thinking a lot more uh, about the weaponization of young people. Mm -hmm. Um, in this country, I mean, it's so funny. Like we talk about, you know, 
child soldiers, like, you know, across the continent of Africa, right? Mm -hmm. And, and in the Middle East, and we talk about, you know, young people being, being indoctrinated into gangs in, you know, in Central America. uh, And, you know, and we don't think about the ways in which we pull young people into our ideological wars, um, Mm -hmm. in ways that I think are very unfair, to them and to their development um, as as adults one day. And I kind of felt like, I felt like that was part of what was going on there. I mean, from what I understand, the, the, the teenagers didn't start uh, the agitating until they went to their adult chaperones to ask them if they could do it. And they were like, oh yeah, sure. Right. Oh, really? So the chaperones did, okay, Leslie, I want to push back first. When one is confronted with any type of hate speech, like, is it really incumbent on the the young people? Like, if a hate group starts harassing teenagers, are we putting the onus on the teenagers to take the high road? Like, ultimately, they didn't dox the black Israelites, and we're kind of treating them like nuts, but they're like, those are adult adult people who are part yeah, of they like, are. And they're part of a group that, like, the Southern Poverty Law Center classifies as a hate group. Yeah. And yet, like, we dox the kid. No, so here's the thing. Like I I said in the beginning, they Mm. clearly don't understand who these people are, right? Right. Because growing up in Brooklyn, you're just like, oh, there go the Black Israelites. I hope they don't notice me, right? And the thing is, like, they are seen as extreme, right? And as hateful, right? Not just by non-Black people, but by Black people too. (laughs) I I feel like in New York, they're more considered street corner nut jobs. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing, right? Every once in a while, you know, like they will say something that you're like, okay, I I get it. Mm -hmm. I get why you're angry, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. I get why you're trying to give us the advice that you're giving us, Mm -hmm. but it's so inflected by hate and, um, and, and non-facts that Mm -hmm. I can't, I can't even listen to you, right? right? Your whole positive message is totally lost, right? With all of this hate um, and negativity. Um, So that being said, like, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that the onus should have been on the kids. Like I'm going back to their adult chaperones, right? right? Um, Who were like, look, this is a school trip. This might turn violent, right? Um, But I'm going to encourage you right to you know to push back anyway i mean just think about the liabilities involved here right and you know leslie uh, this is sort of speaking as a as as an alum of an all-guys catholic high school like i i I couldn't imagine it if i was on a class trip for this that that the the chaperones wouldn't have immediately have like put a put a stop to things Mm -hmm. and so the the whole absence of 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 sort of adult or at least the adult consent which i was unaware of until you you had brought up just just seems uh you know rather rather shocking in that in that sense too that but yet the focus in in essence we 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 have looked upon the kids and not and not sort of on the on on the role models and the chaperones that they're supposed to be that that were supposed to be with them i think another thing that's really interesting about this is um it's so interesting that a lot of people are bringing up, they're like, well, they're kids. They're just kids. Like mm-hmm. they are kids who were up against, right. 
these grown men. And I was like, well, that's my belief. Like, like, that's how I see it. No, no. Yeah. So there are four of them. And then I don't know how many of these kids that's number one. But then the second thing is, I mean, and I think a lot of people rightly point this out, right? If, you know, if there are a group of like four white supremacists, right. Who were saying things and there was a group and there was a group of, um, we'll say it's an all Catholic boys school as well, but they all happen to be like Latino and African American. Right. And they were in the numbers that they were. Um, would we get uh, right? Would we be hearing people right. say, Oh, they're just kids. I mean, you know, like study after study has shown that, you know, like Americans actually tend to like, kind of like, like not take into account, right. The age of, of black kids in particular, yeah. right? They identify them. Yeah, they totally do. And I'm just like, oh, I mean, I'm not saying, again, two wrongs to make a right, except in those kind of yeah. logic diagrams that you did in high school. But right. um, but what I'm saying is like, huh, isn't this illuminating? Well, I also sometimes wonder about these situations in terms of the, the viral effect that we have with social media and the lack of filters and you know, what good comes out of spreading this out so widely? I have no uh, idea. We're having this conversation, which might be a good thing, but are we focusing on the broader problems that create the situations over, you know, feeling good about ourselves that we're calling out specific people? Mm-hmm. And, and, and you know, in this sense, I worry that we're, we're sometimes focusing too much on the kids or too much on the incident and not thinking about the bigger historical trends that are at play. Yeah. What Howard was saying, I mean, in, in essence, it, 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 it's spectacle of what gets focused on yeah. and, and not these larger issues. I mean, it, there is sort of a, it fits a certain sort of, uh, you know, sort of base uh, emotional uh, um, public craving mm-hmm. for, you know, for, for, for that type of for, for spectacle without with, without that sort of broader context and the, and the, and the broader sort of dialogue that, 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 that can come out of it. Howard, what's your take on what, what's the broader problem you're seeing there? Well, I mean, there's so many broader problems that intersect with any one of these incidents. Uh, the one problem is that there's groups of people who are completely talking past each other, misreading situations, not respecting one another, uh, which is, you know, just cr- creating terrible behavior on all fronts. Uh, mm-hmm. The other problem is that, you know, instead of actually taking a step back and thinking, should we be, look, you know, relishing in a spectacle and, and ostracizing people? Let's take a look at the actions and think about how can we mitigate these actions, because I can't imagine any society that thinks this is a good thing for the society to be going through, where there's so much division and so much tension. It's, it's almost like everybody just needs a timeout. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, yeah, Howard, like, I mean, it's kind of like, you know, so Richard, you're a medical sociologist, right? And mm-hmm. one of the things that, like, Uh, One of the things that I'm seeing more and more in publications is the use of the implicit association test, right, um, Mm -hmm. on providers to be like, oh, my goodness, is this what is leading to disparate care? And, you know, and that's I find it interesting, but I think the much broader problem isn't whether or not uh, practitioners have implicit biases and more like 
like the bigger problem of what medical knowledge tells them they what it it tells them how it tells them they should be treating their patients right so right. if so if for example uh patients are being treated differently because of their race or because of their gender right uh are we really going to say it's because there are a few bad apples or because implicit bias is just like deeply embedded in us as individuals or should we be interrogating the knowledge base from which these practitioners are providing care to people and i think like that i think is one of is like an example outside of this you know where, that exemplifies what howard is saying is like st why do we keep focusing on individuals and not thinking about kind of like the broader context and why it is individuals then interact in this way in these spaces yeah right exactly and and this is uh, uh... It becoming a, it sort of even a, a much sort of bigger and renewed area within within medical sociology too of, of what, you know, what are the foundations and uh, within training of where you know where people learn to doctor essentially and socialized into medicine uh, as as trainees as, as as students as interns uh, and, and and how that medical base or, or lack thereof you know creates that creates these sorts of issues. Uh, you know, though, Leslie and Howard, what about the particulars? Because, you know, there is, I read an article in Vox in which they had a university professor make the argument that that boy didn't understand the effects that his stare has on people of color and the pain and anger that his smirking would cause. Ergo, he is dismissive and condescending and attempting to domineer minorities. And like that was published on a national media outlet. Like somebody went from generalities, imputed a world of motive onto this kid and very unflattering motive. And that's going to like follow him around. Yeah, well, I, like, I mean, I, I, you're right, Joe. You're right, Joe, right? And while, I mean, I have my opinion, I wouldn't publish it anywhere but Facebook. <laughs> but my right, Facebook right. publication <laughs> set basically responded to to this teen's uh, remark that he was just smiling and like the smile was meant to diffuse the situation and then also he was uh -huh. nervous. And I was like, yeah. if that's your smile, good luck getting a date, good luck getting married, <laughs> right. right? Because that does not look like a smile to me, <laughs> right? It, well, it is certainly, you know, the kid was uh, in that moment not uh, looking like he w had any goodwill. What, what I worry, though, too, though, is that, you know, instead of judging people, why don't we just judge the actions? You know, yeah. good people do mm -hmm. terrible things and terrible people do sometimes good things. Exactly. Uh, Mm -hmm. and, and this is what we lose when we, we blow these things up so quickly. I mean, we all saw the That's movie right. Crash, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> Good movie. I just wanted to, if I could, if I could add something really quickly, something Leslie said that's, that stuck out with me too, is the, the context of why those kids were there. Um, you were talking about sort of the weaponizing of, of kids. And this is, I'm, to be clear as, a, as sort of a starting point, I'm not sort of equivocating things, but I think it does raise some interesting, as you brought it up about thinking about how we socialize kids into sort of activism and different sorts of causes and worldviews about things. Um, you know, they were there for a, for, for a, for a, a, a pro, if it was a pro-life, uh, anti-abortion uh, uh, protest. Yes, or, yes. Or, right. Yeah. And, which is interesting in the sense of that we, you know, that's looked upon in a, in a, in a derogatory way in certain, in, in certain circles or in, in a negative light. Mm -hmm. And yet at the same time, you, when you think about uh, certain, uh, certain, certain subgroups of where the you know, uh, 
children get encouraged to be part of protests for other, you know, it could be more popular sorts of causes. So taking out sort of the the the, the meaning here of, of, of the actual uh, of, of, of the protest itself, sort of, it, this is sort of an interesting sort of sort of flip to that. Yeah, um, I which, talk, which your I, comment earlier made, made me made me sort of reflect on. You know, it would be great. You know, it would, if, imagine if this was sort of a a, a pro environment uh, <laughs> sort of protest of which they were there for, or uh, or the women's rights march or something. I like I to- I totally like I totally agree with you, and I totally forgot about that connection. And so there are a few interesting things that come up to me, like when like in being reminded what they were there for. I kind of feel like there's a difference between like you know bringing a bunch of, of teens who are Catholic. I mean, they're from a ca- Catholic school. And so doctrine, as it is, um, basically requires them to be pro-life or anti-abortion. I, I, it's more anti-abortion than it is pro-life. Uh, as a lapsed Catholic, I can say that for certain. Yeah. Um, so that's number one. What's also interesting is that it's an all-boys school, right? And so it's very interesting that you have these, you know, these these growing young men, right, being so sure that they can dictate the right of a woman to do with her body what she can within the limits of the law. Um, and number three, I think there's also a huge distinction to be made between um, b- between bringing kids on um, an anti-abortion or pro-life um, march, right? I mean, because there are teenagers who have formed these opinions on their own. Right. And another thing with, you know, West, where is it? Westboro Baptist Church. Um, They are constantly at the gates of my university. And I remember once there was a a kid, a little boy who must have been like nine handing out flyers with, you know, with those graphics of like um, a baby's body chopped up in pieces. And and I'm thinking to myself, isn't that child abuse? Um, to subject the child to that. So I think there's like, there's weaponization and then there's allowing of space for, you know, for teens to express themselves however they express themselves, right? Um, I don't know that them being on, on that march was a way of weaponizing them, but I do feel that what was going on when the, when the chaperones gave them the okay to do what it is they did, that I thought was an example of weaponization of youth. And Leslie, it was within right. a week of uh, the uh, Gillette. Was it? Is it Gillette? Oh, yes. and, uh, how to be a man. Uh... <laughs> I love that. Yes, but I don't like that. I don't like the idea of having a sixteen-year-old boy act as a stand-in for you know concerns about all of America's race problems or gender problems. Just like I don't like uh, people picking on. Uh, black teenagers as like you know uh, an object to to pour scorn. I think like when I look at the kid, his master status is a kid. Like that's mm-hmm. you know I guess I guess and I guess that's what, what do you see when you look at the kid? Do you see a kid? Do you see a white person? Do you see a a conservative? Like do you see the MAGA hat? Trevor Noah said the MAGA hat was the act of aggression. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know about that. I mean, I will say, um, regardless of whether he was a kid, if he was bigger than me <laughs> and mm-hmm. stronger than me and he was in mm-hmm. my face, I might be afraid of him, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I mean, it's it's interesting, as I say, because, you know, 
I, I kind of feel like uh, inner city kids and like kids in rural schools, particularly those who are of color, right, who are big and male in particular, mm-hmm. right, um, I think are disproportionately punished because people are afraid of them, because they are male, because they are strong, no question. right? And also because, no because of their race. And so yeah. what I'm saying is I, I, I totally agree with you. He should not be a stand-in for anything, right? <laughs> Over, and I think that the only people or really the only person, like I think who could really comment on what, what this young man's presence felt like um, at that moment is um, is that American Indian elder who was right there, right uh, in his proximity. So the MAGA hat uh, now is this uh, immediate symbol of. Uh, right, I think in the one article that we had here that it were, it was associated immediately as a as a, 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 a someone equivocated with a with a, a clan mask or something like that. Mm-hmm. Sort of mm-hmm. yeah. it, it, that you know, it's it's amazing to think how that the discourse around the MAGA hat has uh, um, uh, intensified. Um, yeah, you know, it used to be just something that was you know okay, a statement to then something that was looked upon as being sort of maybe silly or, or something of derision to now something that's sort of this explicit you know viewed as an explicit marker of uh, of, of of racial hatred. And this is where, you know, the, it, we're, we're seeing a lack of leadership from the president and a lack of leadership mm-hmm. from the Republicans and a lack of openness to, to build the bridges to realize that this is not going to end well. Uh, if you look at mm-hmm. American history, you look at world history, when you end up having these things as simple as a hat symbolizing hatred and people reading into that, uh, you know, the end result's never going to be a good thing. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, I get it. I mean you know, symbols are just symbols and they can't hurt you. But sometimes a symbol can be a threat, right? Um, I don't, I I don't equate a MAGA hat with a noose, for example, if, you know, Mm -hmm. if someone was coming at me wearing a MAGA hat versus wearing a noose, right, I'd be much more threatened by the latter, right? Um, but, you know, here's the opportunity for leaders to, to step in and say, no, the MAGA hat does not symbolize this. The MAGA hat should not be used in this way uh, and, and, and change the discourse. And when those opportunities happen, the president and Republicans uh, haven't stepped into those opportunities to tone things down. Uh, and instead, they like to play it both ways and kind of have that ambiguity to, 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 to rally a base that, that's creating a very unstable situation. Yeah, well, to rally a base around these ideas while also like being able to claim plausible, you know, plausible deniability. Oh, that's not what we meant. Right. Mm -hmm. We just left it ambiguous enough so that people could read into what make America great again actually really means. Right. So. For more, visit us on the Web, theannexpodcast.com.